Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus, the 20th chapter. We are returning to our study of the Ten Commandments and considering these and making application. As it says in Psalm 119, God's Word is broad and seeing the applications from these. If you are using the Bibles there in the chairs, it's on page 52. We are going to be looking at the Eighth Commandment this morning, You Shall Not Steal. There's no question that this commandment is frequently violated within our culture. In fact, I think thievery is at epidemic proportions. It's hard to go a day without seeing headlines that are dealing with this. Just a couple of headlines from this last week that I saw. One was, in California, thieves steal the wallet and keys from a council member while he is speaking to the public about the problem of crime. This took place in the Bay Area. In Chicago, a TV news crew was robbed at gunpoint while they were reporting on a string of robberies in that area. And so they went into that area to report, and they got robbed. And then I saw another one on Thursday of thieves with no respect for the house of God swipe a five-ton air conditioner from a church in Atlanta. They were in the process of taking a couple of the larger air conditioners. They had cut the wires, cut the cords, uh, but somehow got interrupted. Having spent nine years in the desert now, summers in Arizona, I understand just how serious that is. You know, how many of you have had something stolen at some point? A lot of us have. Some of us have had multiple things stolen. How did you feel when that happened? Frustrated? Angry? Violated? You know, even if it wasn't something of great value, it's still annoying. And it's also a violation of God's law. And it's not just stated here in the Eighth Commandment, but we also find it in the New Testament as well, that the prohibition against stealing, it's clear in Scripture. You know, stealing is, is fairly easy to recognize when it happens to us. But there are many subtle ways to take what doesn't belong to us and thus fail to love our neighbor as ourselves. As I mentioned in Psalm 119.96, the commands of God are broad. There's many applications. But on the positive side, this commandment, the eighth commandment, is really dealing with honoring stewardship. And that's what I want us to consider this morning from that, to have a proper perspective, a God's perspective, on handling what has been entrusted to us and practically and properly showing love for our neighbor. What I want us to see from this is that God provides material possessions to individuals to be used for his glory and to advance his purpose. That is really the heartbeat of this commandment. If you have your Bibles open, we're going to read just these four words in Exodus chapter 20, verse 15. You shall not steal. That is the eighth commandment. As I was sharing, talking with our our staff, I said, well, you know, I've got it memorized, thou shalt not steal. I memorized it in King James, New King James, you shall not steal. Modern vernacular, y'all quit stealing. (laughs) 
It's a very clear statement in Scripture. But you know, when, when one, a person steals, he takes what does not rightly belong to him. And what I want us to see is what is prohibited in this, first of all. The, the prohibition is that God prohibits stealing. Stealing involves the unauthorized change of possessions. That's really the idea behind it. Taking what doesn't right, rightfully belong to us. It, it's, it's a failure to love our neighbor as ourselves. So whether it's something small that's taking, something large, it's, it's still not showing the proper love. And there's many ways that this can happen. There's the blatant theft. You know, armed robbery, breaking and entering, shoplifting, pickpocketing, the porch pirates, the, the smash and grab, like breaking into vehicles, the, the violent taking by mugging or extortion, which is, is stealing by threat. But there are many more subtle ways of stealing. There's the white-collar theft or fraud. There's cooking the books, a false weight, or in our culture, it'd be more like switching price tags taking unfair advantage of somebody, the scams that are out there. And we get them on our phones, we get them in email, and and these types of things. The failure to pay the correct price. Or when somebody makes a mistake, to keep that. Even when they've made an honest mistake in in the store, you get too much change. I think my first recollection of delving into the misappropriation of funds was along this line. It was more subtle than outright theft. I remember as a child, a a local business in our small town had failed to give me the proper change. And I didn't realize it until afterwards. So a short time later, when I was a few pennies short, and I was in our local five and dime, our Ben Franklin store, and and I didn't have quite the change I needed, the, the cashier just said to me, that's okay, you can bring it later. And I never returned. I walked out, thanked her, went to supper that evening and I was extolling my shrewd manipulation of the system. That I'd not gotten the right change in one place, so I made it up over here. And instead of a biblical worldview, I'd bought into karma. (laughs) And I'm sharing this and my dad let me know that was not right. And he told me, there were probably 15 minutes before the store closed. He said, you go back up there right now and make it right. And I left the supper table, hopped on my bike, and I rode as fast as my larcenous legs could pedal and went back to the store. And I gave the money to the person at the counter and I told them, please tell them, Mrs. Paps, she was the store, manager, store owner's wife who had waited on me, please tell her I brought this money back in. And I got there just a few minutes before it closed. You know, I rode home with a clear conscience and a fresh sensitivity to living in integrity because of my dad. He didn't say it was a minor issue. He made it a big deal, even though it was just a couple pennies, to go and make it right before I even finished my supper. We have to be careful about the subtle stealing, the manipulative stealing, wasting, abusing, mistreating the possessions of somebody else. In Luke chapter 16, verse 1, Jesus tells of a steward who wasted the goods of his master. You know, this can happen in many ways. Failure to pay your bills. Failure to repay a debt. You know, people have money for trips and entertainments and for toys, but they don't pay their bills. That's a manipulative stealing. Failure to pay proper wages. 
Leviticus 19.13 speaks of this as a form of theft. There's welfare theft, taking a handout when you could work. It's the misuse and abuse of charity, taking advantage of the compassions of others. And this happens in many ways in our culture. And we have to be on guard, and we get requests in church, and we try to help our, our church family, but we often get calls and requests for things, and, and we have to be careful that we don't subsidize sin. There's workplace theft, the misuse of your employer's resources, the misuse of time for which you're being paid. You know, we, with COVID and all, a lot of people ended up working from home. Do you give your employer what he's paying for when you work from home? And employers who fail to pay wages in a timely manner is also mentioned in Scripture as workplace theft. There's academic theft. Cheating, when you steal somebody else's answers, plagiarism, letting someone else do the work and then passing it off as your own. And there's robbing God. Malachi 3.8 speaks of, Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me in tithes and offerings. Do we think that only happened in the Old Testament? You know, we have a very generous church. Tri-City is a giving church, and it is a wonderful blessing. But the question we have to ask is, are you a generous person? Are we giving to God what he deserves? You know, we can rob God in our time and our talents. All of our abilities are given by God and to be used for his glory. So we need to seek to advance his purpose. You know, we ought to come to church not simply to get, but to minister, to give. Rather than being consumers that we're contributors to the glory of God in the church by Christ Jesus. And understanding there are many ways this can happen, but, but stealing takes unfair advantage of one's neighbor. Galatians 5.14 says, All the law is fulfilled in one word, even this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Or Romans 13.10, Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. So it really is a change of perspective of, do I love my neighbor? It harms one's neighbor when we take what rightly belongs to them. You know, in the Old Testament, when a thief was caught, they would have to pay back, make full restitution with a significant penalty. And so in, in Exodus chapter 22, the first four verses speak of this, that if someone stole a sheep and sold it, he would have to return four sheep. If he stole an ox and sold that, he would have to return five oxen. Now, if the original animal was caught, found and returned, then he just had to pay double. You know, if that were the penalty today, I think it would cut down on a lot of theft. I might even leave my car unlocked. If somebody stole it, would I get three or four or five back? Or is that a covetous heart? <laughs> You know, if there was fraud, according to Numbers chapter 5, it was full restitution plus 20%. And so when somebody was caught stealing, there was a significant penalty because they were hurting their neighbor. I would say in our culture, we need to be careful because gambling is a form of taking from another person. Best definition I've heard for gambling is stealing by consent. It appeals to the greed and rooted and covetous. And it's, it's when a person's willing to put something at risk for the hope of taking what belongs to somebody else. 
Rex Rogers in his book, Seducing America, Dealing with Gambling, said gambling thrives on destroyed lives. Well, it's, it's not loving my neighbor as myself because I'm really wanting what my neighbor has and I don't want them to have it. We need to see as well that stealing is contrary to the character of God. God is gracious. A thief is greedy. You know, the, the thief says, I only care about myself. My pleasure, my self-gratification, that's what matters. That's not the heart of God. We've sung of the grace of God this morning. We've talked about a faith in a God that, that we can trust. God gives, a thief takes. God gave his only begotten son because he loved us. Jesus Christ came and gave his life for our salvation. In fact, it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. That's the, that's the heart of Christ. That he was willing to be poor for our benefit, for our salvation. That's not the heart of a thief. We also need to know that God hears the cry of the needy. A thief is actually the one who creates problems and tragedy. The, the cost to that church to replace an air conditioner, to fix all the wiring, and, and the use of money that's given for the glory of God because of a thief. See, stealing is, against, is a sin against God. It disregards God's laws. It demonstrates a distrust for God's promises and provision. It's an attempt, really, to avoid the consequences of sin. Because of sin, God decreed to Adam that man would live by the sweat of his brow. Stealing seeks to live by the sweat of somebody else's brow. I'm not going to do the work. They're going to do the work, and then I'm going to take it. And 1 Corinthians 6.10 says that thieves and the covetous will not inherit the kingdom of God. So it's contrary to the very character of God. This, this is the pro prohibition. But understand on the positive side, God establishes personal ownership. I mean, that's really what we find is, is implicit in this command. The right to ownership of personal property is actually part of our stewardship. You know, the Marxist mentality and ideology of communal control is not rooted in a biblical ethic or worldview. God established personal property. Back in Genesis chapter 4, we read that Cain and Abel both bring offerings from the fruits of their labor. It was their property and thus their offering. And if Abel had brought a lamb from somebody else's flock, it would not have been an acceptable offering. It had to be his flock. A stolen sacrifice is really a contradiction of terms. And so understanding God establishes this, that, that stealing displays a failure to trust God. Proverbs 30, verse 9 says, Lest I be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. You know, every theft is a failure to trust what God has provided. The warning in, in 1 Timothy 6, 7 is, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. That if we, if we don't have need, we can start trusting what we have rather than trusting God. 
And, and the danger on the other side is a person who doesn't have can take and not trust God. And, and contentment is really an issue of faith. Do we distrust God that he will meet our needs? Now, that doesn't mean he's going to give us everything we want. And are our wants more important than his will and his word? Do we crave material goods of the world more than the spiritual food of the word? I mean, do we have time for, for physical activity but not spiritual activity? As we read in Scripture, exercise for godliness because that's profitable in all things. Could our appetite for spiritual things be diminished because we're feasting on the junk food of the world? What is it that you hunger for? Because what you hunger for the most is what you're going to worship. And understanding that it's, it's a part of our trust in God, stealing demonstrates a covetous heart. And that really is the root issue under this. In Luke 12, verse 15, it says, And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. I mean, that, that verse almost sounds un-American today. I mean, we think it's all about stuff. Possessions tend to be one of the, the greatest rivals to God's rule over every aspect of our life. And Jesus points this out when he says, no one can serve two masters. You can't serve God and money. No, money is a wonderful tool if you have the right master. But it's a terrible master when it's allowed to rule. Don't be ruled by riches. You also need to see that stealing damages the stewardship of somebody else. When we steal, we hurt somebody else. It says in Ecclesiastes 5.19, As for every man to whom God has given riches and wealth and given him power to eat of it, to receive his heritage and rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. See, a, a theft is an attack on God's provision for somebody else. Stealing is always detrimental to the victim. Say, well, well they won't miss it. That's really not even the point. The point is, God gave it to them, not you. Therefore, you're dishonoring God and you're hurting their stewardship. That goes back to private ownership. You know, if you have an orange tree in your yard and you walk out and pick those oranges, that's not stealing. It's your tree. But if I do it without your permission, that is stealing. Because it's not my tree. And if there's a box of oranges sitting in our lobby, which often happens when, when the fruit is in and, and it just says, please take it, that's not stealing either because it's being given away. And recognizing the issue of ownership. You devalue others who are made in the image of God if you take what rightly belongs to them. But positively, the third thing I want us to see is God expects personal stewardship. He's established personal ownership. He expects stewardship. Biblical ownership is really not about possessing things to use for our objectives, but to advance God's glory. And whatever we do, we do all to the glory of God. And so we can view things as tools. But there are several ways that we show stewardship. One is to work hard. You know, good stewardship means working hard. Like it's an interesting topic to be talking about on the Labor Day weekend where we celebrate labor by taking an extra day off. 
Do you know, it says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 and 24, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord. Not unto men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance because you serve the Lord Christ. If you work poorly, you really love your neighbor poorly. Because either the job's not going to get done properly or somebody else is going to have to pick up the slack for your doing, doing a poor job. Proverbs 20, verse 4 says, The lazy man will not plow because of winter, because it's cold, and he will beg during harvest and have nothing. Kind of a form of welfare theft. He could have worked, but he wouldn't. First Thessalon- 2 Thessalonians 3.10 says, For even when we were with you, we commanded you this, If anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. Now note it says will not work. doesn't say can't work. That there are hardship situations where somebody can't. But if somebody can work and won't, Hunger is a pretty good motivator. You know, Christians ought to be the most honest, hard workers because we're serving the Lord Christ. In fact, the verses before this in in Colossians 3 said, don't be as men-pleasers. Don't just work when the boss is around and somebody's watching. But do it as fearing the Lord. And, And it's that desire that I don't want to invite his displeasure. I don't want to be told you're not doing it right. We need to work hard. Second thing is we need to meet family needs. In 1 Timothy 5, 8, it says, but if anyone does not provide for his own, especially those of his household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Even unsaved people will take care of their family. You know, years ago when we were living in Maine, I'd, I'd met with a, our congressman when I was in Washington, D.C., and he'd, he had made a comment. He said, I'd really like to talk with you in my local office. Would you be willing to come by and meet with me? And I said, sure. And so his, his scheduler called and set up an appointment. So I went into his office, and, and I, I realized we, we really hit it off personally, even though politically we were on opposite ends of the spectrum. But I, I figured out later, he was trying to figure out the religious right, and I was his, his guinea pig. And we had good conversations. Well, in the course of this conversation, his staffer brought up the the topic. We started talking about meeting the needs of of people. And I I mentioned that's what the church does. And, and, And the staffer asked me, he said, why do you think people go to the church instead of coming to the government? And her insinuation was that was the government's job. And I told her, I said, I disagree with your premise. I said, God has established the home, the church, and the government. And the first level of care is family. And that's what we we see here. That family members are to take care of their family. There are situations in this this chapter in 1 Timothy 5 talks about the church has obligations to assist. And, And that there are biblical guidelines that are given to the church in assistance. And I said, you know, when a family steps in or the church steps in, we also help that person try to make wise choices in, in how they're spending and, and in their stewardship. And I said, we, we're not going to subsidize irresponsible living and sinful choices. We're going to help direct them away from that. I said, and the government never does that. And she agreed. She said, yeah, the government's too big to do that. I said, well, is that, you know, it's not really the government's job. God has given it to the family first and then to the church. And actually, that's part of keeping the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother in meeting needs. 
And many of us, many of you are involved in that. How do we help our parents as they get older and dealing with with situations? We have these discussions regularly with people. And recognizing meeting family needs. The third thing is take care of your possessions. It says in in Proverbs 12, 10, a righteous man regards the life of his animal, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. That that these these are animals being used for work. The oxen, the cattle, the sheep. And a righteous man is concerned about the life. He's taking care of his property, his possessions. Parents, you have a responsibility to teach your children respect for property. It has to begin in our homes. It should extend well beyond our homes. I mean, our society is collapsing because there is such a lack of respect for the property of others. You know, respecting property is part of respecting other people who are made in the image of God. The issue is not how much their property is worth, it's how much they value it. You know, some of the things we have to repair around this building are simply because of a lack of respect for property. Now, I understand there are things that get broken because there's a lot of activity. And Proverbs 14.4 says, where no oxen are, the trough is clean. But the mess shouldn't be because the oxen are out of control. It ought to be that that's just part of of problems that happen. But children need to learn to value property, and they really learn that by labor. They need to learn how to work. Our kids did yard work when they were in Maine. They learned the value of money by mowing lawns in our neighborhood. They actually put most of the landscaping companies out of our neighborhood because they didn't have the same level of overhead. They just walk around the circle pulling their lawnmowers and their, their weed whackers. They had T and K landscaping, Tim and Christopher. And then Christopher went to college, and it was still T and K. It was Tim and Caitlin. (laughs) And she did the work with them. But, you know, they learned the value of things that way. When they wanted to buy something, the question that would go through their mind is, is it worth mowing two lawns to get that? You know, one of the reasons some of our kids have no understanding of value is they've never had to work for anything. They need to do chores around the house. They need to work. And they don't have to be paid for it. That's part of family. That's part of stewardship. We, we gave an allowance to help them to learn to give, not because we were paying them to be part of our family. You know, we were buying the food, the clothes, paying for the house. You know, they need to be part of a family instead of being selfish. I think a fourth thing is we need to provide for the needs of others. Ephesians 4 speaks of this. Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give to those in need. There's, there's really only three ways to get something, and these, this verse tells us. It can be stolen, you can work for it, or somebody can give it. And Christ-likeness involves much more than just not stealing. You cannot steal but still be a covetous person. You can, you can work hard to get stuff legally, but still have a covetous heart. See, Christ-likeness is evidenced when we work to give. You know, God wants us to have more than we need so that we can give to advance his cause. Kent Hughes said, every time I give, I declare that money does not control me. Perpetual generosity is a perpetual de-deification of money. It's saying money is not my master. 
But we also need to invest for eternity. Familiar verses to many of us in Matthew chapter 6. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Understanding that we need to be thinking of eternity. Stuff here can be stolen. Many, many of you have had things stolen. I didn't ask how many of you have stolen something. You know, many of us would have to raise our hand there too. But understanding, it's frustrating. When we were living in Michigan, we had somebody break into our house while we were home. And I heard something and I came charging down the stairs and our back door was open, my stereo was turned, the cords were pulled out, they hadn't gotten it. But, you know, that's frustrating. But thieves can break in. They steal. So we have to lay up treasure in heaven. Do you realize that the only money that we can be guaranteed to see again is the money we invest invest in advancing God's work? And only eternity will reveal what our investment has brought through our missionaries that are in different countries and working and to see how they are multiplying that. We have to have a right view of stewardship. And, And I think there's several things that can help us in understanding biblical stewardship. Number one is we need to realize God owns everything. Psalm 24, verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's, the fullness and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. In Genesis chapter 14, verse 18, Melchizedek blesses Abram and says this, Blessed be Abraham of God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth. And then just a couple of verses later in verse 20, Abram gives a tie, the tenth, to Melchizedek. It's before the law. You know, God gave Israel the promised land. It was God's to give. The land didn't belong to the Palestinians, it belonged to God. Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 11 says that. Haggai 2.8 says, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, says the Lord. So we sang, take my silver and my gold. Not a mite, that smallest coin of the, the Romans, the Jews that would have, I won't withhold Do we think that way? God owns everything. Number two, God entrusts you with what you have. The possessions are God's, the stewardship is ours. And when we understand that God owns it and he's given it to me, that ought to change how I view it. You know, do we have a hard time giving? We shouldn't when we understand God's given us what we need and he's given that we can give back. You know, I... Our, our grandkids sit with my wife during the opening part of the service because Christopher and Kimberly are involved in the music program. And, and so, you know, when we have the offering part, one of the reasons I like having the offering during the service is we can teach our kids to give, our grandkids to give. So my, my wife usually brings a, some quarters from home. I have a dish of them and, and she'll take a couple and give them to our grandkids and say, okay, when the offering, you put this in the offering. Well, one of our grandkids really struggles with putting it in. She, she does not like putting that offering in the offering plate. And, and when my wife has worked with her, in fact, one week she, when the offering plate was passed, she looked at the, the usher and said, I don't like him. <laughs> it's like, we're praying for her. <laughs> but, you know, I think how foolish. It's not her money. Her needs are all met. She's not going hungry. 
She has clothes. She can't drive. She, she doesn't have anything she has to, and I wouldn't trust her in a car driving anyway. <laughs> Not with that attitude. And, and more money will be there next week. I still have plenty of change. I don't carry change around. If I get change, I put it in that bowl. And so there's plenty available, and she struggles to put it in an offering plate. And we laugh at my granddaughter, but how many of us do the same thing? Everything we have comes from God. And we're not willing to give back to him because there might not be more. He gives out of his abundance, not out of his need. Understand God has entrusted us that that when he placed Adam in the garden, he didn't transfer the ownership of the garden to Adam, but he gave responsibility to take care of it. He was to tend and cultivate and keep it. He He was to make things grow and sustain progress. That's really what stewardship of life is all about. Cultivate what God has entrusted to us to advance his glory. See, Number three, God expects us to increase what he's given us. In Matthew 25, there's the parable that Jesus describes the kingdom of heaven like a man who, who gives his servants the, some money, the talents, and then he goes away and he expects them to invest it. And they were given different amounts. And when, they come, when he comes back, one of them says, I, you gave me five talents and I've, I've gained five. Here's ten talents. Another one said, I, I, you gave me two talents, I've gained two. Here's, here's those four talents. The third one says, you gave me one talent and I buried it. Because I knew that you were, you were a hard master. And so the master said, you should have at least put it in the bank and I could have gotten interest. He's, and, and he called him a wicked and lazy servant. Because he didn't use what the master had given him. That's the picture of the kingdom of heaven. God has not given us the same abilities, but he expects us to use what he's given us for his glory. Don't bury your talents. You know, our our job is what we're paid to do. Our calling is what we're made to do. And we're called to serve God. We're to walk worthy of the calling with which we are called. You know, if somebody says, well, I'm, I'm, I'm serving God, but I could make more money over here, then go do it. Because you don't see it as a calling, you see it as a job. That we're investing in souls for eternity. It says in Romans eleven twenty nine, 29, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. So therefore, we're to walk worthy of our calling with which we are called. Because God expects us to give an increase. And we're not given the same amounts and we won't bring the same increase, but we ought to be saying, Lord, I want to glorify you today. And number four, we will give an account to God for our stewardship. You know, every, every temporal possession can be either a tool or it can become an idol. When we surrender what we have to the Lord, we can use it for his glory. The abilities, the talents, the working with our hands, how we use our time, our treasure, how we handle God's truth. A.W. Tozer said, whatever is given to Christ is touched with immortality. You know, there's really three attitudes that you can have toward possessions. And we saw this back in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. The three possible attitudes from Ephesians 4, 28 that that teaches us, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may give something to him who has need. 
And in that, we, I, I've already mentioned the three ways you can get something. You can steal it, you can work for it, or have it, have it given to you. But Jerry Bridges talks about the three attitudes from this that I think are very helpful. The first one is, what's yours is mine, I'll take it. That's the attitude of a thief. That's the heart of, of somebody who's going to steal. That's the covetousness. I'm going to get what somebody else has. The second one is what's mine is mine, I'll keep it. That's legal, but still covetous. And we tend to be selfish by nature. So, so this is an attitude that most of us will struggle with if we're not careful. John Calvin said, where riches hold the dominion of the heart, God has lost his authority. When, when it's what's mine is mine, I'm going to work to keep it. The third one is, what's mine is God's, I'll share it. That's stewardship. As I said, God wants us to have more than we need. He wants us to be able to minister. That's, that's why I, I'm so excited what God is doing here at Tri-City Baptist Church. And as we're paying off our debt, and Lord willing, we'll be out of debt by the end of this year, and, and that's not the end. That just positions us to advance the cause of Christ. To do more for our staff, to do more for missionaries, to take on more missionaries, to do more for world missions, because we, we want to share it. What do we do with our time? Not just our treasure. You know, the test of our growing in Christ-likeness is not simply that we don't steal. That's a good first step, but that's really basic. The test of Christ-likeness is that we're working to give. He was willing to be poor that we might be rich. You know, this is, this is a needed exhortation for all of us because we have to surrender our thieving, covetous hearts to the Lord. We have all sorts of examples in Scripture of problems that came up. Do you realize that Jesus died between two thieves? One repented and called on Jesus to be a Savior. That gives us hope. The other one did not. He serves as a warning. 1 Corinthians 6.10, thieves will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what is the answer? What is the hope? Well, victory comes in regeneration. You know, when Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector and hated by the Jews, when he met Jesus in, in Luke chapter 19, his attitude toward material things changed. In fact, he, he says this in verse 8. Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Goes back to the Old Testament. I will pay back four times. And in verse 9, the very next verse, Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Now, Zacchaeus didn't buy his salvation, but his change toward his attitude toward material things evidenced that there was new birth, regeneration. The victory comes when we're saved. You have to ask Jesus Christ to be your Savior. He came to give you eternal life by giving His life in your place. We also need to make restitution. The remedy for stealing requires restitution. The greater the cost for stealing is not simply getting caught. It's not simply making restitution. The greatest cost 
is not having a right relationship with God. The greater loss is the loss of the presence of God. See, God has a right to rule our life. I can trust Him. He owns everything. He's given me what I need. Failure to trust is evidence really in how we handle what is entrusted to us. See, God knows how life is to be lived. He knows what's going to happen to our economy this coming year. In six months, in six years. And so our question has to be, are we faithful in our stewardship? Would you pray that you will be faithful in your stewardship? And would you start that prayer today? God provides what we need. He will give exceedingly abundantly beyond what we can ask or even imagine. But it means that we step out by faith and trust Him. It means we have to have that personal relationship with Him if we're going to trust Him. And understand that this commandment is not simply about the wrong taking, but it's really about right stewardship. That we would honor stewardship and do so for the glory of God. Let's pray together.